couple of things before we jump in. Um, I want to be the word police, Phil, but you said hopefully it'll be an encouraging time together at the men's conference. I'm just saying it is going to be. We'll just get rid of the word hopefully. I understand. We're hoping for that. But uh, I know Glenn and Phil have been working hard at this and been praying about these meetings and just encourage all, all you men to be there um, because it will be an encouraging time together, just being able to spend time in God's word together, praying together, um, listening to one another's experiences of just God's grace uh, in each other's lives and as well as um, yeah, just seeing each other. Being in a context like that is just, it's, it's just encouraging. So it, it will be encouraging. I encourage you all to be there as well. Uh, other thing is, so I've been battling a cold um, for the last two weeks. And it's gone like a sinus infection, thing like that. And so I'm only sharing this with you because right now what it, it does over this last week is it has this temptation, or not temptation, it, this fluid builds up in my ear. And uh, it, 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 if you could get inside my head, you would. it just sounds really funny when I talk. It's hard to hear myself because this ear is clogged. And so if you see me bend over like this, I'm not stretching what it does is it just like relieves that pressure for a moment and uh, it allows me to actually hear myself. And so now that I have to speak, you might see me do that once in a while. And um, now you know why I'm doing it because it's absolutely annoying when you can't hear yourself or it's just this gong. It's like ah, in my ear. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Now what we're going to do is we're going to turn to God's word. So First John chapter 2, 7 through 11. The Apostle John writes the following. He says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and just ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and you would give us ears to hear what you're saying and that your spirit as well would take this word and plant it in our hearts and you would just cause it to bear a lot of good fruit, that you would bring about a great assurance to those of us who have truly come to know you by faith. Lord, you give us these tests in your word to give us assurance, a confidence that that we are genuinely saved because genuinely saved people look like something. And you tell us what that something is. And we see that here in this text. And so, Lord, give us this confidence where it's true. And Lord, would you also use this test to reveal where maybe it's not true. Maybe we've been um, living our life saying one thing, but really not believing it, or as you would say, living a lie. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would expose this, not just to expose it, so that we might actually live in the light. We might repent and believe in Jesus. And, Lord, that you might actually genuinely save those who really need to be saved here today. And so I pray that you would search our hearts and you would help us to be honest with the way in which we relate with one another, the way in which we think about love and the way in which we actually love our neighbors or those around us, specifically, Lord, those in this church as we live life together. And so, Lord, would you do this for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name, amen. So I was thinking about this for the, over the last six years, the Lord has graciously allowed for me to have four kids get their driver's license and to put them on the road and to insure them, which if you're a parent, you've ever done that, you know how much fun that is. Tyler, that's one of those things that you get to look forward to, Lord willing, as you talk about being a young man. There's a number of things you do get busier with, and one of those things is children, especially when they start driving and all that fun stuff with it. But if you want to get your driver's license, what do you have to do? There's a number of things you have to do, but, but you have to pass a couple tests, right? You, you got to go and take a written test, and then you got to go and take a driver's test, and you have to pass both of these things in order for the state of Georgia to take your picture and hand you a license and say, okay, we believe you have enough knowledge and enough skill to get behind a vehicle and drive it on our roads. And so they're, they're satisfied if you can pass those tests. Because these tests reveal what you know and what you can do. That's just kind of how tests work, don't they? And the reality is, just think about your life. I'm sure uh, all of us have taken many, many tests to do various things in our lives. Depending on what you do for a job, I'm sure you've had to take a test at some point to be certified, to be able to do what you're doing. And so tests, they just, they work like that. They serve the purpose of revealing true things about us. They reveal if we know something or not, or just how much we know about it. They can either confirm or deny our acceptance into something. They can also give us an assurance that we've actually learned enough of a certain subject that we've needed to learn so that we can go do something with it, so that people would maybe believe us when we say this is what we do. And so some people actually look for that. They look for that certification because behind that certification or license, they know this man's been tested or this woman's been tested and they've passed enough at least to get that diploma. Or that certification that allows you on the job site or allows for you to speak into somebody's life. And so tests are a good thing. How many of you like tests? Okay, not many, not many, right? Because they, they can be a little nerve-wracking in some ways because I think in, when we go to take tests, at least the tests I've taken, that I, I don't always have a lot of confidence that I'm going to pass the test. I work hard and I study for these things, but, but you just never know. You know, going in, what, what kind of questions are going to be on this test? And so it can create some anxiety. And I also learned when I was in college, I had a roommate who had test anxiety. I can't remember if it was a disorder or not. And, and I'm sure that, that might be a real thing. But if you knew my roommate at the time, the reason he had test anxiety 
is because he played a lot of PlayStation. Not going to lie, he was really good at, I think it was NCAA, can't remember the year, whatever. Played football all the time and rarely studied. And if I went into a test, having not studied at all, I would be very anxious as well. But tests are a good thing. And I share this with you this morning because John is going to give us another test. He wants us to take this test. He wants us to look at this test. And he wants us to prayerfully consider the outcome of this test because he wants us to have assurance. He wants us to have this confidence as believers that we have been the recipients of God's saving grace. That we have actually come to know Jesus through faith in Jesus alone. So it's not just something we, we say we have, but, but what he's saying is, no, this, this actually looks like something. Believing in Jesus, it, it, it gives, there's evidence in our lives or in a believer's lives that would, that would point to the fact That God's grace is really active, that his spirit is at work, that Jesus actually abides in us and we abide in him. Because when that happens, our lives radically change. And so John has been giving us a test in this letter. Earlier, last week, we looked at this moral test. It looked like obedience. Knowing that we know Jesus and have come to faith In Christ, it it looks like a life that is seeking to obey Christ. It's picking up a cross and it's following. Again, not perfect obedience, but there's there's a trajectory where, where we're growing in holiness. And so now he takes this maybe a a little step further and he sort of hones it in on a specific area of our lives and he hands us another test. And I'm calling this the social test. He wants us to look at the way in which we relate with other people, the way in which we love one another. And so he's going to challenge our claim to be in Christ by asking us if we truly love people. Again, the purpose of this test is to give us assurance so that we can look at our lives and say, yeah, yeah, I love these people and it looks like this and And God would say, well done, be encouraged. My grace is at work in you. You've been redeemed. So before we jump into our text this morning, I I, want to give you the test question from the start to think about throughout this message. Here's the question. Do you genuinely love all the people in your life? Do you genuinely love all the people that God has placed in your life. Another way of maybe asking this is, it's on the other side, is do you hate anyone? I know hate's a strong word. We don't like to throw it around. But, but is there any bit of hatred in your heart towards anyone that you get the privilege of relating with? Especially, I want you to think about your brothers and sisters in Christ, those in this church. Is there anyone in your life that maybe you can't really stand to be around? Want nothing to do with? And really can't say anything nice about? See, the way we think of and treat others will either confirm or deny our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what John's getting at here through this test. And so again, the question is, 
Do you love the people that God has placed in your life? So we're going to jump into this test or our text this morning by looking at two points. In our first point, we learned that the commandment to love others is both an old one and a new one. So it's an old commandment and it's a new commandment. Look again at verse 7 where John writes, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, talking about Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John is not trying to confuse us here by calling this commandment to love others both old and new. He's not trying to confuse us at all. He's actually trying to bring some clarity to this command that we've been called to obey by loving one another. He's He's simply really, I think, in some ways, not just bringing clarity, but he's also sort of raising the importance and helping us to understand just how important it is for us as believers to actually love one another. It's a, it's a very important command. It's, it's essential, is what he's going to be getting at here, to, to the Christian life. It's huge. And this command's been around since the beginning. And it's only increased in quality and clarity since Jesus came into this world living a life of love as God in the flesh. Living this out on earth as he loved the people around him. So let's look at it. John tells us this love is not a new commandment, but it's an old one. It's old because it was given to us in the Old Testament. It was given a long time ago. In Leviticus 19, verse 17, says the following. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This commandment from God, it's not a new one. This call for us to love one another, it's an old commandment. Moses gave it to his people because Moses Moses got this from the Lord. Instead of years ago, God commanded his people, he said, not to hate your brothers, not to take vengeance against your brothers or bear a grudge against your brothers. Instead, he commanded them to love their neighbors as they love themselves. And then, and then my favorite part about this verse, there's a lot to like about Leviticus 19.17, but if you open it up and you look at it in your Bibles, one of the things that just stands out is, is we get this command from the Lord to not hate our brothers, but instead to love one another as we love ourselves, and then it's stamped. It's stamped with a signature. That gives this old command some very significant authority. And that stamp is, if you turn there, again, Leviticus 19.17 is just, I am the Lord. Here's the command. Don't hate anyone, but instead love everyone. And then, bam, I am the Lord. Who says this? Did Moses say this? No, the Lord 
has commanded this. See, Moses wasn't just giving this to his people so that they would kind of just get along until he could get them to the place they they needed to get to. This command to love one another didn't come from some other leadership just hoping that they would create some good environment for their people. This command to love one another, it has real authority behind it. Because it comes from the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It comes from our God. And we're going to have to give account to him for the way in which we relate to one another. And this is what makes it an old commandment. But it's not just an old commandment, as John tells us. Verse 8, and at the same time, it is a new commandment. That I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's a new commandment because this commandment to love others has been made alive. It was a commandment that was written and given to God's people in the Old Testament, but this commandment to love one another, it was made alive. And what I mean by that, it it came to us in the person and work of Jesus himself. Jesus embodied this love by the fact that he was God in the flesh. And scripture is very clear who God is. We learn in John, God is light, but we're also going to learn that God is love. He doesn't just love us, it's who he is. So in Jesus coming into our world, what we have is we have love stepping down into this world. He embodied it. He, He made it alive for us. In just his very nature. He didn't just love the people in his life who were like him. Go throughout the gospel. Study Christ. He he loved the world around him. He loved everyone. He loved Jew and the Gentile. He loved the old and the young. He loved the broken. And he even loved the tax collectors. And through his death on the cross for our sins, he showed us what true love is by giving up his life for ours. See, he had every right, Jesus had every right to be celebrated. He had every right to be served because he's God in the flesh. But instead of being celebrated and instead of being served, he came to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for us. As an act of love, he died to save us. And when you study this and you think about it, and the way Scripture reveals us, he didn't come and die for good people. He didn't come and die for friends. Scripture tells us he, he died for the ungodly. He died for his enemies. Romans 5 verse 6 says it this way. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that true? Like he's just getting after something. Like people will do good things for good people. It's easy to do those type of things. It's easy to lay our life down for those that we like or those that like us. That, that have some benefit to our lives. But, but what Paul's telling us here in Romans, what God is teaching us here is, is that's not how Jesus loved us. 
Jesus' love was completely different than that. He, he came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to save ungodly people. He came into the world to, to redeem enemies. And he did it willingly. And he did it intentionally, giving up his life so that we would be forgiven, so that we'd be brought into his family. And what he's saying here is that's love. This is what love looks like. And Jesus himself even taught us about this new commandment. In John 13, 34, if you can't, open up your Bibles to this passage. 13, John 13, 34, and 35. It's very important. So he says the following, a new commandment I give to you. So this is Jesus. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? How do you want us to love one another? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice Jesus didn't say that all people will know that you are my disciples if you can answer all their questions and possess all the right knowledge that there is to know about me. It's not that right doctrine is not important because it is. But if you have this right doctrine and you have all of these answers, but yet you fail to actually love your brothers and sisters and the people around you, then what he's saying here is, Nobody will be able to know that you're one of my disciples. You can tell them you're one of my disciples, but, but they won't be able to see it because it actually looks like something. So possess the knowledge, get right doctrine, and then live it out. Well, what do you mean by live it out? Well, we learned last week it looked like obedience. And what we're looking at here, and we're going to see in just a moment, it looks like us actually loving one another. Laying our lives down for one another. Genuine disciples of Jesus live a life that knows this love and actually practices this love on a daily basis. So what we learn here in the beginning, before we actually jump into the text, this, this commandment to love one another, it's both old and it's new. And we're called to do it. We're called to actually genuinely love one another by the grace of God that's at work in our life. And this leads us to our second point. Number two, living a life of love for others. Living a life of love for others. What we're going to learn in these next three verses is that if you say you love God, who is love, then, then you should actually love one another. And so he sort of uses a negative example, a positive example, then he goes back to a negative example. Verse 9, he says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And so what he's saying is, you can't say you're a child of the light who is seeking to be faithful, yet walk in darkness. And by that, you, you can't say you're walking in the light and hate your brother at the same time, because, because those two don't mix. You, you can't be a child of the light while you walk in darkness, because you're walking in darkness. What it's revealing is you're not actually a child of the light. 
See, when we get saved by God through faith in Jesus, he brings us out of darkness and he brings us into the light. Again, this doesn't mean that all of a sudden we are perfect, but it does mean that we've been radically changed by the grace of God from the inside out. He makes our hearts alive to him and his ways. Our sins have all been forgiven. We've been declared righteous, but, but this sin still remains. We've been spending the last several weeks talking about this. We're not perfect. Sin still remains. We have an advocate in Jesus who fights for us, who saves us, helps us, encourages us to repent, but there's this upward trajectory. But the sin that remains, what it does is it tries to pull us back into darkness. But because we're in Christ and he is in us and his spirit is at work in us, we, we actually have this power as believers that when we see that sin rise in our lives, we, we can confess it, we can repent of these sins, and we can then begin again to walk in the light. Or in this case, we can begin to actually love one another. So what John is saying here in verse 9 is that it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to be a Christian and actually hate people habitually. Habitually is a, is, is a key word here. He's talking about ongoing, doing this over time, harboring this in our hearts and holding on to it, never confessing it, never repenting of it. Because the reality is we live in this world and we're going to fight with one another. We're going to get in conflicts with one another. But what he's saying here is don't hate your brothers or sisters when you're fighting. Don't hold on to those things and never confess them, never repent of them, and instead just continue to hate them because what that looks like, that looks like darkness. Looks like darkness. So the expectation here is that these conflicts that we have and hurts that we experience at time would be reconciled. They'd be dealt with. That darkness would be brought out into the light and exposed to the good news of Jesus. So there's this expectation for us to confess sin, to repent of sin, and to forgive one another of our sins. We're not to allow anger to go unconfessed and unrepented of. We're not to allow resentment to just sort of set in. What does resentment grow into? Bitterness. We're not allowed to let bitterness just take root in our hearts because what does bitterness do? Where you talk, Ricardo. It destroys. It destroys everything around you. You and your relationships. It just, it just will destroy anything that it is allowed to touch. As David Allen says in his commentary... He says, hatred poisons our entire Christian life. Love is to be the mark of the Christian life. And so if that's the mark of the Christian life, what it, what it does is it bears a lot of fruit. So the opposite of that would be hatred. And so where hatred is allowed to just sort of sit in our hearts and sit in our relationships, what it does is it poisons your life. You can't say you're a follower of Jesus and hate people. Love and hate do not mix together in the Christian life. It's like light and darkness. They, they can't occupy the same space. We say, well, what about my enemies? Is it okay to hate an enemy? And by enemy here, I, like, there are just wicked, evil people in this world that 
we look to the Psalms and we pray that the Lord would just take these people. That the Lord would, would if he's not going to save them, Lord, we ask that you would just remove these people. That, that your will would be done, Lord. But I think when we think about enemies and we're thinking about the context of the church, for us, I call them the lower case E enemies. So uppercase E would be just some evil tyrant that's out there ruling somewhere in this world or doing mass murder type things. And it's just evil. Like you hate evil. The lowercase E enemy are people like your spouse and your kids and your pastor, your friends, the other coach on the baseball team that you're coaching against or the basketball coach or your boss. And by lowercase e, I mean just anybody in this world that you encounter that you think is not with you, that is not for you, that's not on your side at that moment. And sometimes these lowercase e's go from really good friend to all of a sudden, like, you're my enemy in this moment because you're not getting me what I want or you're not seeing things the way I see them. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We all have these. It happens all the time. So what do we do? How are we to treat our enemies? I'm glad you asked. This is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. Luke 6, 27 says this, But I say to you who hear, this is, this is Jesus, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the, others, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And so what he's saying there is, that's what the world does. They're not going to be able to distinguish you from the world if you just love like the world loves. Because that's what the world does. They take care of their own first. Goes on and he says, And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? That's called the Bank of America or whatever bank you go to. Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Eh, They want more from us. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as Your Father is merciful. So what do we do to our enemies? What do we do when our kids are just making life miserable? We love them. What do you do when somebody steals something from you? Let's say they take your coat. What did Jesus say to do? He said, give them your shirt. What does it look like to lend something to somebody? Lend and expect not to get it back. It's weird, but that's what he's talking about here. I would say this section of Scripture has radically transformed the way I think about people. I remember like 15 years ago sitting in my office getting prepared for some marriage counseling, and I sat and I was in this section of Scripture and just 
just thinking through it. And, and the part that radically changed me was, was in verse 35. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. And then this is the part. Why do we love people like this? Why do we love them in this radical way where it's just so sacrificial and it's so costly? Well, he said here, he goes, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Who? Who's kind to the ungrateful and evil? Your, your God is. And so is your Savior, Jesus. He's, he's kind to the ungrateful and evil. And I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, who is the ungrateful and evil person that he's talking about? You know who that is? It's us. We're enemies. We're takers and not givers. He's given us life, and we've taken it, and we want to do whatever we want with it instead of honor and glorify him with it. We are ungrateful and evil, yet he's kind. So what's the motivation to love an enemy? What's the motivation to love a brother or sister? The gospel. Living in the good of the gospel is reminding ourselves he's kind to the ungrateful and evil. How can I be kind in this moment to my spouse or to my kids or to my friend or to the person who just stole something? Why would I ever want to pray for the person who just abused me? Because he's kind to the ungrateful and evil. See, I think what John's getting at here is, is if you don't get that part of the gospel... If you don't understand how much you've been truly loved by God, you will never love in this way. Because it, it takes God's grace to do it. A person who is genuinely saved, John's getting at here, will genuinely love those around them, even enemies. Verse 10, he says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Genuine believers and followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, love others. This love that John is talking about here is, is it's not so much of a feeling. He's not, he's not talking about how you feel about somebody. He's talking about an action. It's sacrificial. It's costly. It's, it's not based upon how you feel about somebody. It's based upon what Christ has done for us. It's objective in many ways. We're called to love one another sacrificially, and it's going to cost us something. We don't get the freedom to define how we love others based upon how they act or treat us. The, the Lord defines this for us. This type of love that John's talking about is the same love in which God has given to us and the same love in which Jesus has for us when he died for us. Again, this is the reason why we can love our enemies. Think about it. None of us would be saved without Jesus loving us this way. None of us would have the hope of eternal life in Jesus if Jesus didn't love us by laying down his life for ours. So how will people know that we're his disciples? How will you know that you're one of his disciples? John would say, by the way in which you love your brothers and sisters. So let's just dig a little deeper into this love. And so look with me at 1 Corinthians 13, 4. This is a famous section of scripture about love. Listen to this. 
1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. Now, I want you to think, as I read this, I want you to think about your relationships. It's easy to read this and get romanticized about it. And like, yeah, this is awesome. Woo. Think about your last fight with your spouse. Think about your current conflict that you're walking through with somebody. Think about how you talk to your brother or sister. Think about how you talk to your kids when they disobey you. Kids, think about how you talk to your parents when you don't like what they've just said to you. So, Because it's really important. Remember, we're taking a test. So he says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Do you love the people in your life this way? Are you patient and kind with others when they're not doing or giving you what you want? Are you patient with them as you see God's grace at work in them? Do you have that same patience the Lord has for you in your sins or your weaknesses as the Lord has with you? Love's not arrogant. This just comes out. Are you humble? Do you walk in humility in the way in which you relate to the people around you? Is it evident in the way you speak to people, speak about people? Love is not rude. It's like a filter going in my head and making sure I'm not saying the right thing. Got illustrations, but... Here's this, the question. Are you rude when you speak to people? Parents, are you rude to your kids? Kids, are you rude to your parents? Because love's not rude. So when you see rudeness, do you confess it and do you repent of it? Do you walk in the light or do you harbor it and hide it in darkness? Love is selfless. It doesn't ever insist on its own way. Think about that. Love is selfless. Just think about your marriage for a moment. <clears throat> whatever it is you guys are walking through, whatever conflict it may be, at ever, whatever that happens, just, just ask yourself, am I loving my spouse in this moment? Am I insisting on my own way? Now, can you imagine if you both actually genuinely loved one another in that moment and you didn't insist on your own way, but instead, in humility, counted one another more significant than yourselves, and you actually considered their interest. Weird. I'm saying this. I'm sit, I sit in the same seat you do. I have, a, I have a wife, and I have four kids that test me every single day. But this is what the Lord calls us to. What does it look like to consider your spouse's interest in the middle of a fight? What does it look like to consider your kids' interest when all you want them to do is go to bed at this moment. I don't, I don't have the answer, specific answer in that moment, but, but the call here is to love them. That means we seek to actually consider their interest and not insist upon our own way because love is selfless. Love is not irritable or resentful. 
man, I get irritable when I don't get what I want for lunch. I'm not going to lie to you. I get hangry a lot. My wife would tell you this, and so I just share that with you because it's easy to get irritable. I literally, well, I'll walk in the kitchen, and I'm hoping there's a certain thing sitting on the stove, and when, I think I've shared this a thousand times. If, if it's, what's that called, stir-fry? If it's ever stir-fry, I will be irritable in just a moment's time. Phil, Phil's in the office now every day, and Carol feeds him well. And I just told him I would starve, though, because you, they eat, what do you eat, a lot of Asian food. I grew up in northern Michigan. We, don't, we, didn't, we didn't have an Asian restaurant around. I hate white rice. And so I'm not lying to you. Phil knows this. I'm picky. The little things like that make me irritable. So you can imagine being in a real relationship with me. There's a lot of dying to self that has to take place. Where I just be like, okay, like when she makes stir fries, it's not in my notes. I just say, can you put as much eggs as possible in that? It's weird. I'm just... Point is, love is not irritable. So I know what that feels like. I'm imagining you know it as well. That irritability is is not just an action. I can feel it rising up. And when you feel it, guess what? The Lord is saying, that's not love. How about you just be quiet and eat the stir fry and thank her for it? And not resent her for making it more than she should. She's the only one in the house that likes it. Sorry. Do you rejoice in the truth even if you don't like it? Since love never ends, the question here is, does love characterize your life? So listen, when he's talking about love never ends here, you don't have a moment in your day where you can say, I'm going to put down my cross and now I'm going to insist upon my own way. You, You don't get that moment where you can be like, okay, I've tried being patient and kind and they're not listening So now I'm going to try a different tactic. I'm going to yell. I'm going to grab them. Might even hit them. I'll do whatever it takes to get my own way because I've tried loving and it's not working. Therefore, I'm going to try force, manipulation, whatever it takes. And what God is saying, that's not love. You know how many times as a husband you have to die to yourself? For the rest of your life. You know how many times you got to die to yourself as a wife? For the rest of your life. I'll give you an out. Unless Jesus comes back before that happens. How, how much should we be dying to ourselves? How often should we be dying to ourselves and loving one another? Until we die or Christ comes back. And it's a privilege. Because hatred poisons. You think you can yell to get your own way. You can insist to get your own way. You can manipulate to get your own way. That's not love. But what it does is it will poison everything around you. You wonder, why why is my relationship like this? Because you don't actually love them. You actually hate them. Or you've been hating them. And you've been thinking that hatred is going to help. And it's not helping because it just poisons. Love builds up. John goes back and he says this, verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. David Allen writes the following. He says, hatred so zaps purpose and direction in life that you can't know God's direction for your life. 
Hatred takes you out of God's will. You cannot be in God's will and hate your brothers. It's it's so important to see this here. Love builds up. Love strengthens. Love is the mark of a Christian's life. Where hatred exists, all it does is blind you. You may think you're loving somebody, but you're doing it in a hateful way or you're harboring hate in your heart towards them, bitterness, resentment, any of that kind of stuff. Listen, what John just said is you're blind. And you need to understand that where that irritability is, exists in your heart, what that is, it's a sign saying you can't see clearly. Do not trust your own judgment at that moment because you've been poisoned by your hatred. Again, just think about any conflict you have ever been in. It gets out of hand quick, doesn't it? Especially when you're really angry. And you really dislike the person you're in fighting with. Lots of stuff just all of a sudden becomes bigger than it might be. You miss actually seeing what God is trying to do in your own heart because you're so consumed with a hatred for the person in front of you that what John says is true. You're just blind. It's kind of like, now we're going to move on. See, this is a serious warning for us all. It's a great test to take. Hatred will deceive us. Love will build us up because love is a mark of a genuine believer. And so let me close by asking this question again. Do you love the people around you? And if you can say yes, John would say, you're a believer. That's the grace of God at work in your life. Are you harboring any habitual hatred for anyone? John would say, you might not actually be a believer if that exists. If you're not dealing with that, if you're not confessing that, there's concern John would have. So here's my last appeal to us as a church. Love one another. Live in the good of the gospel. Remind yourself daily that God has so loved you that he killed his son. Jesus has so loved you that he laid his life down for you. To save you. Sacrificially. And it cost him something. His life. So love one another. Be patient and kind to one another. Forgive one another. Do not be arrogant or rude towards one another. Never insist on your own way. But instead consider how you might outdo one another in showing honor. Let love cover a multitude of sins. One of my things that it comes out in 1 John is, if sin is present, but we've been saved, and sin has been forgiven, and there's this encouragement to confess sin, then, then when people confess sin, we, we want to celebrate that as God's grace in their life. It's hard when you're the one being sinned against, but what do we do when we're being sinned against? Well, Scripture is also clear on that. We forgive, and we allow for love to cover a multitude of sins. Is that easy? No. What makes it easier? 
I would say being aware that God is kind to the ungrateful and evil person makes it easier because we're reminded that's how the Lord treated us. He loves us. He died for us. So again, in closing, my appeal, church, live in the good of the gospel. Love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us as we leave, that we would be more aware of your love for us than ever before, that you, God, are love and in love killed your son to save us. And you've poured out your spirit upon us and you've empowered us to be your people. Lord, help us to not harbor bitterness, to harbor anger or hatred, but but to allow love to rule our hearts. That we would be quick to forgive, quick to encourage, quick to lay down our lives, quick to consider the interest of others as better than our own. Lord, strengthen every marriage in this room. May it be built on the love of Jesus. Lord, help young kids to genuinely love their parents as they try to work out what that authority structure looks like as they get older and all that kind of stuff. Lord, I pray, I pray that it would all be worked through in love and not hatred. And so, Lord, would you bless Sovereign Grace Church? Would you bless our friends here? Lord, that we might know your deep, deep love. And that we would live in the good of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. One reminder. So if you wanted prayer, Phil had had mentioned this in announcement. If you've been sick or would like prayer for some sickness, right? We're going to be meeting in room 112 just to pray for you. And if you'd like to join in praying for folks, please just come in. We're going to do that for about 15 minutes or so. Um, So with that, I'm going to dismiss everybody. Have a blessed Sunday. May the Lord just continue to pour out his spirit upon you.